play past the baby come on come on I want some too the title to this morning's message is the oh yeah now they can see me though Warren (laughs) the title to this morning's message is the unknown God the unknown God this morning I'd like to add a little teaching to my preaching if you will based off today's scripture reading so I'm going to make you work for this I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 16, because like Rick said, this, this does get a little deep, and I want you to follow along in it and go back to it through the week and, and meditate on some of this. <clears throat> so I'm going to start out with Acts 16, 9 
through 10, Acts 16, 9 through 10. I want to do some background. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. So Paul and Silas left for Macedonia immediately. They eventually made it to Philippi, which was a Roman colony at that time. We moved to verse 13. On a Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. Now, isn't it interesting to note that the first group of people that Paul preached to was not a synagogue full of Jews, but it was a bunch of women down by the river. Because if you remember, women didn't account for much in the old days. Right? The feeding of the 5,000. There were 5,000 men and a bunch of women, some children. Everything that went on, women weren't even counted towards the totals. So to me, this is pretty significant. He's coming to Europe for the first time, and he's preaching to women first. Now in Paul's world, his background, that would never happen. But Christ leads us away from the world, does he not? He teaches us to do what he wants. So it was here that they talk about Lydia. Lydia was converted. She was actually the first convert in Europe. And not only her, but the Bible says her whole household was converted and baptized. Paul and Silas continued to preach throughout the city, and eventually, of course, as they always do, they angered the leaders, and they brought them before the magistrates. In chapter 16, 22 through 24, we read this. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had stripped them had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they'd given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. In the flesh, it would seem like it, this was an ending. They're in jail. Their, their ankles are... Uh, shackled, you'd think that would be an ending, but it was just the beginning. Because God always has a plan. We continue, verses 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaking, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When a jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, just like Warren did, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. So through the suffering... Severe suffering of two Christians 
a jailer and his whole family came to know the Lord. It's easy for us to get angry. It's easy for us to get frustrated sometimes when we start experiencing our trials and tribulations in our lives. Money problems, health problems, marriage problems. Sometimes they tend to bring us down as we go through them. But we must remember, and we must believe that God's hand is even in that in the midst of the storm. That He has a plan for that. That He's going to take what was meant for evil and turn to good. Maybe we go through all that to help us to get closer to God, to, to bond a little bit more, to make that relationship a little bit stronger. Maybe we're put through those things so that other people can see how we act. Other people can see how we react. Other people can see our level of faith to give them hope. Maybe to, maybe to lead them to Christ for the first time or maybe to strengthen their faith. That's why we do testimonies on Sunday. That's why if Leanne were to tell you, she was pretty nervous the last three weeks or four weeks. But the answer was always what, Leanne? Go back to prayer. Go, right, go into prayer and pray she did. And look at the outcome. A 94.5 on her te written test and she passed an evaluation that was critical. Good morning. So we have to believe that God's hand is in it no matter what we're facing. So Paul and Silas were severely beaten in order for a whole household to be saved. Let me say it again. If, if you're not getting the significance of that, they were beaten with rods. They were severely beaten just so God could bring that jailer and his family to Christ. You follow me? I bet if we were to ask Paul and Silas today, was it worth the cost? They'd start singing hymns just like they did in prison. Because it was worth it to them. And it should be worth it to us to understand we're to bring other people to Christ. Because we only get one chance. When these bodies are gone, we don't get that second chance. Imagine taking a severe beating. Now in the Jewish custom, they could only give 39 whacks with a rod. But see, these were Romans. There was no limit. They beat them severely so that people would be brought to Christ. And we whine about sacrificing for our church sometimes. So as his was, as they went through this, Paul and Silas obviously eventually left Philippi and they traveled to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and preached the gospel to those devout Jews. Now it follows the same pattern when you get into Acts. Every time they go to a synagogue, here's the same pattern. Paul goes in, Paul preaches Christ, the devout Jews get upset, they attack them. But we're going to read, some people feel the call of the Spirit. We read in chapter 17 now, if you flip your page, chapter 17 verse 4. Some of them, some of them were persuaded to join and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. And of course, like I said, some of the leaders took offense to the gospel, and they started causing trouble, which resulted in Paul and Silas leaving and traveling to Baroa, still in the region of Macedonia, though. So Paul went to that synagogue, and what did he do? He preached Christ, of course. We go to verses 11 12. These Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. So let's pause there for a minute. 
They examined the Scripture every day to see whether these things were so. I preached, I don't know how long ago, I preached on going to the source. Right? I, can, we just, I'm sorry. Can we? Thank you. So, I preach on you always go to the source, right? That, that we trust but verify. Right? So if I say something up here, I've always said it before, if I say something up here that you're uncomfortable with, go to the source. Go to the Bible, look it up, search the Scriptures. And then come see me, call me, text me, send smoke signals, I don't care. But, but that's what you do. Here's a perfect example right here of what the people did. They heard something, right? If we had more of this in the world, Rick, we'd have a lot less problems, wouldn't we? When all the lies going on, everything happened in the world, the people would just go to the Bible, go to the source, go to the truth, and, and compare it to what's being said, we wouldn't have all these problems. So they examined scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed. Many of them therefore believed. Why? Because they heard the word, they read the word, they prayed over the scripture, and they were led to Christ, including not a few Greek women and men of high standing. But, as was par for the course, trouble brewed. Paul was taken to Athens. While he was there, scripture says he noticed the whole city was given to idolatry. The Bible says his spirit was moved. Now, when you read something that his spirit was moved, that tells you that somebody is, is in uh, connection with the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit moving his spirit, his flesh spirit, okay? So his spirit was highly moved. He was agitated, uh, motivated to do something about it. And that was the Holy Spirit that edged him on. Verse 17 says he argued in the synagogue. Now that's unusual. We normally hear that he preached the word. Here he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So now he's arguing it. Now they have a discussion going back and forth. He's given them the truth. Verses 22 through 25 tells us of Paul's address to the high council. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus. Anyway, he went there and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription... To an unknown God. What you therefore, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath in all things. So here, here Paul is coming in saying, I'm going to tell you who that unknown God is. You're already worshiping him. It says to the unknown God. I'm going to tell you who that God is. You can remove that inscription. It doesn't have to be the unknown God anymore. He reveals the unknown God to the high council. In verses 30 through 34, it gives us the results of his message and proclamation. Well, God has overlooked the times of human ignorance... Now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will have the world judge in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When he heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear again about this. At that point, Paul left them. Now here's the other important part here, but... At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers. See, it doesn't matter if he was talking to a thousand people, brothers and sisters. If two people, one person walked out of that place, saved, repented, 
and came to Jesus Christ, that argument was worth it. Amen? We don't count numbers. We plant seeds. Not everyone who hears the word will turn to Christ. Many of us here, in the mor- this, here this morning, myself included, I didn't come to Christ the first time I heard the word. I don't know about you all, but I didn't. I'm just a country boy. It takes me a little bit longer. But we have to do our best to keep on preaching that good news, don't we? We need to be consistent. We need to be persistent. Paul didn't go into that high council and ridicule them or pick on them for all the idols. We know that bothered him. But he would have lost all of them had he done that, amen? Nobody wants to hear that stuff. He didn't. He went in and gave them respect. I can see you're very religious because you worship everything that walks out here. Right? Worshiping rocks, worship, you name it, they're worshiping it. He came in with loving compassion and a plan to show them the unknown God. He appealed to their senses with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And some of those people were saved because of his obedience to that Spirit. We're called to the same task. All of us here are called to that same task. We're called to plant seeds everywhere we go, not worrying about whether or not they take root. None of our business. We want them to, of course, but it's not, it's not our job. Our job is to plant the seeds. Let the Holy Spirit water them seeds, and it might be through 15 other people or one other person. It might be through a song. It might be through a Bible verse we don't know. Not our business, brothers and sisters. So we, got, we have to stop getting all upset. Well, I preached to him for 48 hours, and he still doesn't believe. Should have stopped at five minutes. Our job is to plant seeds. The Holy Spirit will do the rest of the work for us. We're called to spread the good news, not only by our words, but as you hear me say a lot, not just by our words, but by our actions and our... Somebody? Anybody? Reactions. Oh yeah, thank you. (laughs) By our actions and reactions. Remember, I always include reaction because they're more honest. I can fake you with actions. I can pre-plan actions. I can't fake a reaction. Right? Remember the stubbing the toe story? That's a reaction. People judge us by our actions, our words, and our reaction. The world is watching us. The world constantly waits for us to make a mistake. They want to condemn us. They want to live a life of freedom and sin without consequences. They're always looking for an excuse to point to a Christian and say, well, look how they act, pretending to be changed. We will never lead people to Christ. We will never lead people away from the world if we act exactly like the world does. If there's no difference between us and the world, what's the sense in listening? Just like that city of Athens, most of the world knows nothing of this unknown God that we proclaim to serve and follow. But maybe, just maybe, if we lead our lives and we start with love and grace and we show them the difference, they're going to notice the difference between us and the world. I've said it before a hundred times and I don't, I don't do it to embarrass Warren. That young man, Scott, came to our church service and told Warren afterwards he came to Christ and is, is doing what he's doing now because of Warren's interface with him over four or five years delivering fuel oil. Warren said, I didn't preach. He said, you didn't have to. I could see you weren't like everybody else. That man saw a difference in Warren. 
He didn't have to go beat them with rods and, and drag them to church. The Holy Spirit did the work. Amen? Pretty exciting. All we want to do is let people see the difference between the world and Jesus Christ. We need more love and compassion in this world. And shame on us Christians if it doesn't start with us. Last week we agreed that we're not to judge non-believers. We're not to judge non-believers. I want to share an example this morning on the danger of judging people who have yet to accept Christ. I have a friend of mine who lives out west in a very liberal, progressive state. He was stationed with me when I was here at Griffiths Air Force Base. He retired a few years after I did, and he and his wife, who is also a retired uh, veteran, moved out west. Now, we've kept in touch over the years, and we actually text each other almost every day. They're simple texts, most of them, like most of you know, they're simple correspondence, just a check-in. How's everybody doing? How's the health? How's the dog? How's the weather? But we keep in touch. Both of these people are very good people. But they have not accepted Jesus Christ. Not yet. Obviously, now they knew me before I accepted Jesus Christ. So their minds and memories are filled with a crazy military man that used to do some pretty crazy stuff. I guess you could say they were, they were, stop crying, Lyle. <laughs> Let me feed that man. <laughs> I guess you could say that uh, my friends were a bit surprised when they learned that I was a follower of Jesus Christ a few years ago. Funny, I, I seem to hear that a lot for some reason. Anybody else ever hear that? That people are surprised that you're a Christian? Anybody? Nobody? You think? I know you have. Lyle, good for you guys. Anyway, I was surprised to hear my friend's wife listen to um, a few of my messages online a couple months ago. They're not churchgoers. Perhaps she listened out of curiosity or to, to see if I really did change from my old ways. Maybe she wanted to compare the old me with the new me. I don't know. But here's what I do know. We say it almost every week in church. There are no coincidences. The couple of episodes she just happened to listen to were messages on loving others instead of judging others. Look at the goosebumps. Just happened to be about loving people instead of judging people. You see, if you look at her Facebook page, you'll see all kinds of rainbow flags, BLM, and post about inclusiveness. So that's always her response. She's the one I talked about last week who would say, judge not, lest ye be judged. See, that's easy to throw out there, isn't it? So when she heard my message, it, it kind of opened up some new territory between her and I. And she started asking me questions and shared some things that were going on in her life. Most of the new conversations dealt with her sharing texts she'd received from local friends in their area who bragged, bragged to her about going to church every week. They professed to be followers of Christ, always constantly telling her and her husband, they need to go to church. Unfortunately, the texts that I read that she sent me, they're more of a warning to never attend that church that they were going to. They, I'm going to explain what they were. 
And my friend would basically ask the same question with every text that she'd share with me. What do you think about this, Mark? Is this what it means to be a Christian? Is this what will happen to me if I go to church? Now remember, these are friends of theirs. Until they finally had enough with the judgment and hypocrisy. So a few of the texts were from a woman who actually tried to convince my friend that it was okay that she was cheating on her husband over and over and over. When my friend called her out on it, the lady responded with something like, you're going to hell for not believing in Jesus, why should I listen to you? A brag, a person who's going to church bragging, is defending committing adultery. Things actually got worse after that, and my friend had to block her. Needless to say, my friend didn't see much Jesus in her. Another series of texts was from another lady who made a comment about all gays are going to hell. My friend called her out on that and asked her if that's what she learned in her church. Is that what your church teaches you? Well, her friend responded with all kinds of nasty stuff, calling her names and telling her she was going to rot in hell along with all those gay people. She too was blocked, I think. I'm guessing she didn't see much Jesus in that lady either. These are churchgoers trying to convince two people that they should come to church. But their words and their actions and their reaction, because it was a reaction when they typed back, you're going to hell anyway, showed them the true condition of their heart. As far as my friend was concerned, this Jesus they talked about was an unknown God based on the people she kept encountering. They never showed her Jesus. They just simply showed her more of the world. Who needs that? I've had enough with the world. Anybody else? Lainey did. She raised her hand. No, my friend, my friend witnessed from profess, professing Christians, she witnessed anger and hatred and racism. There's no place for that in the church. There's no place for that in the church. I read, somebody put a post on Twitter this morning and said, Jesus was never concerned with skin color and neither should we be. Amen? She heard justification for sinning. She heard judgment for others that, that they didn't agree with for a different lifestyle. You see, my friend, in the world will always judge Jesus based on what we do. They don't have anything else to compare them to. They're not reading the Bible. They're not praying. So the only Bible they get to read is us. So they compare Jesus by everything we say, everything we do. I told Ethan, I've been with Ethan more this week than I have my bride. Ethan works for the ambulance corps. And so I went on a couple calls and he's on every call. And yesterday I told him, I said, dude, I just want you to know our fire department is so proud of you. And he's like, really? I go, dude, you represent us even though he's on... Even though he's on that ambulance, right? Does that make sense? Even though he's outside the fire department, he's working on an ambulance, Ethan is a member of the fire department. When he walks out that door, he represents the fire department. When we walk outside this door, we represent Salisbury Community Church, but more importantly, we represent Jesus Christ. And there's people that want to hurt us. My friend's question to me might have been, who is this unknown Jesus that people claim can change lives, but doesn't really seem to? Now, God's put me in a 
position to plant seeds in their lives. Not to judge them, not to shove a Bible in their faces. He's led me to show them Jesus by love, compassion, and patience. I pray, of course, that they come to Christ. We want everybody we love to come to Christ. But until then, I'll continue to show them that unknown God that we read about in today's scripture reading. That's all we can do. And that's the mission of each one of us here this morning. We need to show the world Jesus and then pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them, get them to repent, and get them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. So my prayer this week is that before we speak, before we whine, before we complain, before we say hurtful things to people or judge their appearance or judge their lifestyle, is that we remember who we represent. Not only this church, more importantly, we represent Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying it's easy. I see my wife up there smirking at me. There's times I blow it. Okay, sometimes more than others. But that's our goal, right? It's a sanctification. It's a process from the time we accept Jesus Christ till the time he calls us home. Sanctification is the process where the Holy Spirit helps us to be more Christ-like, not done overnight. So I'm a work in progress. Remember that quote from last week, R.C. Sproul said, when the Bible tells us not to be judgmental, it means we're not to have a spirit of condemnation towards fallen people. Now, fallen people is a tough word, but... But technically, it's correct, right? We're either with Christ. We live in a fallen world. We're, we're born fallen people. So it's not like we're judging you're fallen, but it means those who haven't accepted Christ. So we're not to have a spirit of condemnation towards people who have not accepted Christ. We're called to plant seeds. We're called to set an example or a model of a Christian and let the Holy Spirit convict them, just like ours were. There was a point in our lives when we came to Christ, we were convicted. It all happens in different ways. Some of us might have fallen down crying, you know, spitting stuff up and coming to Jesus, but some of it might have been just a little smooth transaction, that awareness that, that there is a Savior, that there is a God who sent His Son here. So we all, we all approach that altar in different ways, but we don't approach that altar until our hearts are convicted by the Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. We plant the seeds and we pray, Lord, I planted some seeds like He didn't know, and we just pray that You would water those seeds. The impression we give could just be the difference between them finding that unknown God or staying tethered to a world that hates them. The world hates everybody. They act like they're together, right? They laugh progressive, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Radicals, they all pretend they love each other, but they, when they run out of us to, to when we're taken, uh, anyway, I won't get it. Anyway, when we're not here for them to pick on anymore, they're just going to eat each other up. Right, Morton? They're going to turn on each other. That's what's going to happen. But we might be the difference. They're tethered to the world filled with hatred. We can be the difference and bring them to Christ. I want to tell you, I was hoping she was going to be here today. But we're going to pray on I'll say the first name. Her name's Kathy. So if you remember years ago, Christina and I met when I was doing fire police, right? So we had never met before. I'm, I'm directing traffic. She comes through. We had a conversation. Boom. Been, what, two years you've been here? Off, off of one little, whatever, five-minute conversation in the middle of the road. Okay, so Thursday, I think it was, was a car accident up here? Thursday night. So I'm up there, I'm doing, doing the traffic control, and there had to be 60 vehicles went by. 60 vehicles, most of them stopped and said something. A large, uh, a large part of them asked, what happened? What happened? Car accident. 
and then they drive off. A smaller percentage asked me if the people were okay. Okay, 60 vehicles, only a handful, maybe two handfuls, are the people okay? One person, this lady Kathy, stopped and asked me, what happened? Are the people okay? She goes, I'm saying a prayer for them right now. And she goes like this. She goes, I always stop and pray whenever I hear a siren or an accident. I said, my church, she doesn't know I'm a chaplain, she doesn't know I'm a pastor. I go, my church stops in the middle of the service if we hear a whistle and we pray. And she goes, oh, I've been looking for a church. Where do you go to church? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so I followed her home. I, no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, that's right, we don't stock. So, so I, told her about, I told her about this. Now, obviously, she's got some type of Catholic background, and I said, don't be uncomfortable. I said, if you're Catholic, don't be. I said, we have more Catholics coming here, I think, than Little Falls does now. I said, come and hear the truth. Come and hear the Spirit. So I was, I've been praying all morning that she'd be here, and that's okay. Sometimes it takes people a while. But now you all can pray with me. We're praying that Kathy will come. Because she hasn't been to church. What happens when we get to church? The coals go got dark, right? The fire ember goes out. So we're going to pray on Kathy coming here. One person out of 60 prayed. A lot of people need to learn who this unknown God is. We can do it together, amen? amen. Unfortunately, we can't do this Oh, I don't know. Now you get quiet. Like, oh. <laughs> All right, let's stand up. There's one simple hearing hack anyone can use. Someday we're going to have to... Yeah. Ah, uh, look it up.